Welcome to another seminar considering the key principles and doctrines that we here at Lincoln Baptist believe are foundational to our very faith in Christ. Today we're going to be tackling the doctrine of God. And when we consider the word doctrine in reference to the Bible, we could say that doctrine is the scriptural teaching on theological truths. In other words, today we're going to use the Bible to teach ourselves about the nature of God. We're not going to try to reinvent the wheel, rather we're simply going to go through the Bible, through Scripture itself, to learn about who God is. And you'll find in some cases we'll only touch on a few things, and that's because we want you to be delving deeper in your faith and in your study into these foundational truths that we find in God's Word. I want to spend the majority of our time looking at specific attributes of God. And so with that in mind, I'm going to give you three statements that we'll take as absolutes. We won't spend time on these statements because we're going to see them as absolute truths that we'll come to later in our doctrine series. So for the purpose of this session, here are your three statements. Statement one, God exists. Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Statement two, God is the creator of all things. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then statement number three, God is triune in nature. Matthew 3.16 to 17, as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. With these absolutes accepted, how do we go about learning about God's nature, his character, his very attributes? We can look at some of the things he has done in terms of creation and salvation in that provision of Jesus. However, this will still lead to the question as to why did God do those things? And to answer the why, we need to know more about God himself. And a good place to start is the very names of God. And the Bible uses names for more than simply identifying an individual. Each name represents the whole person, the whole being. To bring praise and glory to the name of Jesus means to lift up the whole person of Jesus, the character and the actions of Jesus. We could therefore say that the names of God are factual descriptions of his character. Throughout scripture, we have reference to God as a lion, Isaiah 31, 4, a hiding place, Psalm 119, 114, a shepherd, Psalm 23, verse 1, and as love, John 3, 16. And there are, of course, many more examples. And in reading through and studying for this doctrine series, a phrase came up several times. God has many names, yet God has no name. God has many names, yet God has no name. You see, all of the words that we use to name God are but descriptions of the whole nature of God. Yet it's impossible for our finite brains to really grasp the entirety of God. Moses dared to ask God his name in Exodus 3, and God responded in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You see, the names and descriptions of God can only really take us so far. That is why the majority of the Old Testament, God is referred to as Jehovah or Yahweh. 
In some senses, these are general terms for God or Lord that we serve. Of course, we can delve deeper into all of this, but I want to show you this. In understanding the characteristics and the attributes of God, the term Jehovah, Yahweh, Lord or God will hold a greater meaning and depth to us. A.W. Tozer in his book on the attributes of God said, we wonder why we don't have faith. The answer is faith is confidence in the character of God. And if we don't know what kind of God God is, we can't have faith. In other words, we need to know God before we truly know his name. And we need to know God before we can truly live and serve for him. Scholars split all of the attributes of God into two key characteristic groups. The incommunicable attributes of God, meaning the ones that we're less familiar with, and the attributes that are entirely unique to God. No one else shares them, only God has these attributes. The second is the communicable attributes. Uh, These are elements to some degree that God has revealed to us and to some degree shares with us. Now, there is clearly debate as to what attributes of God falls into which bracket. But the main thing that you need to see is that all of these attributes belong to God and some of them have been revealed to us and shared with us. It will become clear as I walk through them. So for the remainder of the session, we'll be camping out in these attributes of God, seeking revelation to the very character of God so that we can draw close to him in a deep meaning relationship. As we begin to know the character of God, we begin to know God himself. In knowing God more, we can have confidence in the God who created, the one who sustains and the one who provided our salvation. So firstly, we're going to begin with seven incommunicable attributes of God. These attributes that are unique to God himself. We'll take one at a time, spending just a few moments on each, and hopefully it will open your heart and your minds to God's awesome character. And so the first incommunicable attribute that I want to share is his independence or his self-existence. His independence or self-existence. God doesn't need us to exist. He didn't need to create all things. He was entirely in existence and he didn't need any other elements. Now that doesn't mean we can't bring glory and honour to God, but what it does mean is he didn't cease to uh, somehow exist if there was no creation. God always was and will always be, irrespective of creation. In Psalm 90 verse 2 we read, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from the everlasting to the everlasting, you are God. Before time was created and after time ceases, God will still be in existence, irrespective of what happens. He is the God who always was and always will be. This self-existence is entirely unique to God himself. We read in Acts 17 verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God does not need us to exist. It is that fact that we can rest and have faith in because the Lord is entirely unique. The issue in recognising this attribute, though, is that it can leave us feeling a bit useless and a bit unwanted. However, just because God self-exists doesn't mean that he doesn't want a relationship with us or doesn't want to receive glory or doesn't see joy in his creation. 
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. We as God's people bring glory to God. We have a purpose as we desire to see his glory and his purposes fulfilled. He self-exists. He entirely exists before time, after time, during time. And we get the privilege of sharing with God that wonderful relationship through Christ. The second incommunicable attribute is that God is unchanging. God is unchanging. God doesn't change his being, his purposes or his promises. However, as Wayne Grudem points out, God can feel differently and respond differently depending on the situation. His responses, however, will never leave his unchanging character. In Malachi 3.6, we read, I, the Lord, do not change. And we see this truth in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the, ha- from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. God's purposes of old are still God's purposes today. His promises that we rest on today are the promises that the future generations will also rest on. Numbers 23, 19. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? How do we then, though, deal with the fact that God does seem to change his mind on occasions? In the case of Nineveh, he was ready to destroy because of their unfaithfulness, yet they repent as they hear of this judgment. So God relents and doesn't judge them. However, a hundred years later in the book of Nahum, God does bring his wrath upon the people who are utterly destroyed. It seems that God goes from wrath to mercy back to wrath. Let me say this. God is always able to respond to each situation without changing his being purposes and promise. Will God bless a nation who is unfaithful? Absolutely not. Will God relent when that nation repents? Absolutely, because God's character is faithful and is merciful. So how does God respond when he sees different scenarios? still with the same character he showed before, yet his response may be different. Hebrews 13.8 sums it up. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We can have confidence in this incommunicable attribute because Christ remains the same of old, present and future. And we can have confidence that his promises, therefore, will hold fast and true. The third incommunicable attribute is that God is infinite or eternal is another way to describe that. God is infinite or eternal. God has no beginning. He has no end and is not limited by time. Yet at the same time, he is able to view all things and see them in a structure that is called time. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We can, to some extent, get our heads around this God who always was and always will be, but what we tend to struggle with is this idea that God is outside of time, yet can somehow still operate in time. 2 Peter 3.8 is often quoted in this discussion. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. 
This verse is often used to explain that God created not in a literal six days, but potentially over a thousand years. I'll come on to that in just a second. But for now, first see that God can see a day as if it was a thousand years. For us, a day is shorter than a thousand years. But for God, who is eternal and infinite, he doesn't operate in the same way. He may take a year, he may take a day, he may take a thousand years, but to him there is no length of time that seems to uh, change or seems to extend out. Uh, let's just make sure we know what this verse is saying. We're just going to return back to 2 Peter 3.8, but we're going to look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 has little to do with discrediting a six-day literal creation view, but everything to do with the fact that Jesus will return at God's appointed time. God isn't slow waiting a thousand years. He operates outside of time. He instead is patiently waiting so that all nations would know the gospel message of Jesus Christ. For God doesn't see this as a long time to wait because he's not constrained by time. He doesn't need time to do as he will. He was, he is, and he will always be eternal. Fourth attribute we can see is that God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. We know that God is not limited by time. He's also not limited by space. God doesn't have a particular size. He doesn't have a particular space that he dwells in. Instead, he is omni, meaning all present. He is in all things and he is in all places. Psalm 139 from verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. There is nowhere on this earth or in this universe that God is not present. We naturally look up toward heaven, partly because the Bible tells us to look up and see God. Yet God doesn't just dwell upward. He dwells in all places at all times. This is why we talk about the church being the people rather than the building. We do not need the building to have the presence of God. We're not limited in our worship or in our teaching or in a prayer to a building because God is on all places. A church room is no more holy, no more sacred than any other space that God has created. To state that it is, is to state that God is more in one place than he is in another. And that is not a biblical view because God is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. But what does this mean about hell? Is God present in hell? Uh, the short answer is no, but there really is a bit more to it than that. God is Lord over all. He is therefore Lord over hell. It exists because he allows it to exist. Hell is the absence of God's blessing and of his saving presence, but it's the presence of God's judgment. His entire wrath and judgment is placed over hell. There is no hope, there is no escape. You see, hell is less about fire and more about the eternal wrath of God. You see, many people view it as Satan's domain, yet God sent Satan there and in the victorious ending judgment, he will be chained and destroyed in hell. Is God 
the one who has the right to declare hell? Absolutely. Does God desire anyone to go to hell? Absolutely not. Will he allow it? Yes. Even in rejection of God and your eternity being in hell, you cannot escape the Lordship of God who is omnipresent and who is Lord over all things. The fifth attribute I want you to see is that God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. That is what the word means. He is all-powerful. He is completely able to do as he wishes. He lacks nothing to achieve his plans. The power of God is mentioned all the way through scripture. Here's just a few examples. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Luke 1, 37. For no word from God will ever fail. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Yes, God is all-powerful, but he will not, or rather cannot, do anything that denies his character. He cannot lie. He cannot be tempted. He cannot tempt anyone else. And what does this all-powerful God mean to our faith? Well, A.B. Simpson gives a stark reminder. Our God has boundless resources. The only limit is in us. Our asking, our thinking, our praying are too small. Our expectations are too limited. God was all-powerful to create, to destroy, to roll a stone, to raise from the dead, to change any and all things in our lives. The question is, do we have the faith to see the power of God in action? Now, the sixth attribute I want you to see is that God is omniscient. God is omniscient. God knows everything, literally everything. He knows all, all their things that can be about ourselves. He knows all about himself, his creation, past, present, future. He knows everything about us, past, present and future. God never has to grow in knowledge, understanding or wisdom, for he knows all things. He cannot be surprised. He cannot be caught out. He is in himself knowledge and wisdom. 1 John 3.20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. A.W. Tozer helps us out here when he says, to say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it is more, it is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. Isn't that incredible that God never needs to grow, never needs to learn and will know all things for eternity. That is an all-powerful, all-knowing God. And therefore we cannot hide anything from God. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I wonder if that's a comforting or a terrifying thing for you. He knows our words before we say them. He knows our actions before we do them. He knows our darkest thoughts. He knows our fears. He knows our joys in our life. He knows our beginning and our end. He knows when Jesus will return. He knows the day that Satan will be defeated. He knows all things. The seven uh, attribute that I want to share with you is that God is perfect. God is perfect. God is without sin. There is nothing faulty about him or his purposes. He is good in all his ways. He is 100% perfection. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. And Psalm eighteen thirty. as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. 
God cannot and will not be wrong in anything. Is there anything more glorious than that, to love and serve God who is perfect in all things? I think it was Francis Chan that said if he reads anything in the Bible that he thinks is wrong or that he thinks God needs to change, he doesn't assume the Bible's wrong or assume God is wrong because the Bible tells us that God is perfect in all things. He assumes that he is wrong. And that is something we need to learn, that humility of understanding that God is 100% perfect and therefore undoubtedly we will be the ones in the wrong. Now these are the seven attributes that are distinctly unique to God. It may be the case that uh, we can attain or understand some of these attributes, but they are entirely absolute to God. We can understand his perfection, but we ourselves are not perfect. Therefore, it is unique to God. Yet God has revealed in his word more about himself and has actually bestowed upon us the abilities to have elements of his character. These are what we call the communicable attributes of God. These are as we're made in the image of God that he shares with us. And to some extent in this life, we can know those attributes, not just in God, but in ourselves. So again, taking them one at a time, we move into the communicable attributes of God. We've done seven incommunicable, unique to God. We now do a few communicable attributes that are in God, but can also be seen in us. So the first one is that God is spiritual. God is spiritual. What is God made out of? Is he human? Does he have sizes? Is there dimensions to God? Yes, we know that the Son of God being Jesus was made into human form, taking on both deity and manhood. However, is the whole person of God tangible in the sense of being able to touch and physically measure? We often talk about the wind, how you cannot see the wind, but you can see the effect of it on the leaves of the trees. Is that the same for God? We cannot see him, but we can see his effects. John 4:24 God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This returns us to God being everywhere because God is not limited to a physical being because he is spirit. He has no size or measurements. He is in all things because his being is not constrained as being like anything else. He isn't made out of matter. He created matter. He isn't made out of the dust of the ground. He was the one that created the dust of the ground. Psalm 139 verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Notice no reference to physical nature, but to the spirit and the presence of God. The reason that this is communicable attribute of God is because that we are given a spirit so that we can worship God. Philippians 3.3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Take another verse, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We may be physical in nature, but we also have a spirit and it's with that spirit we are to worship God. It's also that spirit that goes to God when we physically die and we go to eternity with God who is eternal himself. The second communicable attribute I want you to see is that God is wisdom. God is wisdom. I want you to note there, I didn't say that God knows wisdom, rather he is wisdom. James 3.17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And all of this is summed up in Romans 16.27, the only wise God. To seek God is to seek wisdom. 
He is the one who made all things, who sustains all things, who intimately knows all things. God has an ultimate plan and an ultimate purpose. And we've learned that in our Daniel series a couple of years ago. Since the beginning of time till the apocalyptic age and beyond, God has a plan. Only he knows it and only he can truly guide us in it. The wisdom of God is vast and beyond all of our imagination. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. However, even through God's wisdom, even though God's wisdom is vast, it's also communicable in that he can share it with us to some degree. Psalm 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all who follow his precepts have gone understanding, have good understanding. When we focus on God, when we're in awe and wonder of him, it is then we can truly find knowledge, understanding and wisdom. That is the starting place of wisdom, to gaze upon God, not ourselves. No human wisdom can be like God's, but God's wisdom can be given to us through revelation that God provides in his word. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. That is this beauty of God's character, that he is both awesome and generous. This is the beauty of God that he wants to give us wisdom. He wants to show us great things. He wants to reveal to his children his plans and purposes. But we first must come to him, humble, faithful, seeking wisdom through God who is himself wisdom. The third communicable attribute is that God is faithful. When we consider God as faithful, what we're actually saying is that God is truthful and that he will always keep his promises. He will not fail to honour what he has laid out in his word. Numbers 23, 19. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfil? We learn in our Doctrine of Scripture session that God cannot lie, he cannot be wrong. When he promises, he will act. When he says he will sustain the people, he will sustain the people. He will not change his mind and he will always respond to honour his promises. 2 Samuel 7.28 says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. The key to understanding God's communicable attributes is to see how they work out in our lives as his children. God doesn't want us to just view him as faithful. We are to become like him in our faithfulness. If God is faithful, then he calls us to be faithful. Colossians 3 verse 9, do not lie to each other since you are taking off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Being a child of God means we are to be renewed and transformed into the likeness of God. We are to be faithful in our words. If we promise to do something, we are to promise to do something and then act on it. If we cannot do something, then we are to say we cannot do something and then we are to live that out. And in a society where we play fast and loose with the truth, Christians are to seek the example of God and to be faithful, for God is faithful in our actions and our words. The fourth attribute I want to share with you is that God is good. God is good. Scripture is explicit in telling us that God is good. Psalm 100 verse 5, Or the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Luke 18, 19, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Psalm 34 verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
What do we mean by saying that God is good? Well, R.T. Kendall gives us an interesting insight. We read in the creation narrative that God created all things. And after each day, he saw what it was and stated it was good. Kendall takes this as the definition of good, that God approves of it. Whether creation, thought or will or being or attribute, if God approves of it, then it is good. And in some sense, God approves of himself and views himself as good. He is the standard of goodness. If something reflects his character, then it reflects his goodness. He is that standard that we as his children are to be a reflection of. And as a communicable attribute, it's something that we can consider within our own lives. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. What good do we have in ourselves but the goodness of God? And that goodness of God is to reflect in our lives as we are faithful, gentle, loving, merciful, and all of the other attributes that God displays. We have a good God, and therefore as children we are to behave in his likeness, and we are to be good and faithful servants of Christ Jesus. The fifth communicable attribute is that God is love. God is love. Some of these attributes really seem quite obvious, don't they? Yet it doesn't mean they're any less important. Fundamental to God's character is love. 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. It's not that just God is loving, he himself is love. He is the perfect example of selfless, sacrificial, all-consuming love. And we see that love flowing through Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still in wickedness, God showed us love through Jesus. And therefore, we're to reflect that love. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. We're not to love like this world does. We're to love like God does. We're to love God sacrificially. We're to love God with all our being. We're to love God with all our heart, mind and soul. And then through the Spirit's power, we're then to take that love of God and show others the love that he has shown us. In essence, our relationship with God and our relationship with others is marked by the love of God who himself is love. Do you see how the more we understand who God is, the more we understand his actions, the more we understand how we are to behave in this life. Uh, the sixth communicable attribute I want to share is that God is holy. God is holy. God is set apart, which is the ultimate meaning of holiness. He is set apart from sin and set apart from all other things. Isaiah 6, 3, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then 1 Peter 1, 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holiness and perfection are different things. To be holy, yes, you must be perfect, but it's more than that. Holiness talks about a separation, no likeness, no correlation, no connection to the worldly elements of sin. God is completely separate. He's unique in his righteousness, yet his holiness can be reflected in our lives. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. 
Notice we cannot be holy and set apart for God if we do not first ourselves come to God seeking our worldliness and our sin to be removed and purified from us. So that when we come to God and we seek that purification, we find Jesus. And through Jesus, we can be made more like God, holy and set apart as our sin is removed from that wickedness and that wicked heart in our lives. And we're made more like Christ. And so we're called to be holy for our God is holy. And the seventh and final communicable attribute I want to share with you is that God is peace. God is peace. God is not random, he's not disorganised and he's not in anguish. God is peace. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. Notice that peace of God applies to the church where Jesus serves as the head of the church or that leader of the, the church. We can have confidence in the Lord's peace because it is always with us. Romans 15, 33, the God of peace be with you all. You won't find any peace in this world because true peace comes from the one who created all things. True peace comes from the one who is victorious over all things. And true peace is from the one who can save your soul because that is peace. That God will take you out of that eternal damnation and wrath of God and place you in the heavenly realms in complete and utter peace of heart, mind and soul through his son, Jesus Christ. With this in mind, we're to reflect that peace of God in our own lives. Romans 12 verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God is peace and therefore we are to be peaceable through our actions because of God. We're to display peace. Notice we're to be peacemakers with everyone, not some people, but all people. And as believers in Christ, we are to be known as being a people of peace because the God we serve and live through is the God of peace. As we come to a close, what we'll see here is that there's many more attributes to God. His righteousness, his mercy, his grace, his wrath. And I would encourage you to study your word so that you can know more of God. However, what we can clearly see in just the short time we've had together is that God exists, that God is a creator of all things, that God is triune in nature, that God is independent, unchanging, infinite, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient and perfect, and that God is spiritual, wise, faithful, good, loving, holy, peaceable and righteous. This is God, the one whom you live for and the one whom you serve. We are to be in awe of him. We're to draw close to him. We're to praise his holy name. And so in knowing God more, we can have confidence in his word, in our salvation through Jesus, and that we can be secure in his unfailing, uh, unfailing and his secure and just peaceable promises on our lives. I, I can't even describe it. The wonder that it is to know God and to live through him. Just before I pray, let me say this. Consider this week how you might reflect the character of God in your actions, in your speech and in your thoughts. For it says in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. These 14 things I've gone through with you in this session are to increase in your life. You are to reflect them. And anything that is not included in the character of God comes from the world and should decrease in our lives. Consider this week how you can see that change in your actions, your speech and your thoughts. And my prayer is that you will truly know this wonderful God and be like me, almost uh, struck for words by the end because you can't even describe what it means to know God in his fullness.
Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that we've had this time to, uh, to some extent, just scratch at the surface of your character. And, and all we can say, Father, is that we are in awe of you. Your very character is, is incommunicable. We can hardly describe it. We can hardly know it. Even just scratching the surface, Father, we are just in awe of your being. Father, we pray that we would remain that way, that we would never deal with you flippantly, but that we would humbly come to you, serve you, love you, and that we would reflect your character in our lives. Father, I pray for all those who are listening and watching, that they would be Christ-like in their behaviour, in their actions, in their words, and in their thoughts. And Father, as your ser um, serving children, your faithful children, we pray that we would love and honour you in all of our actions. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.